You're listening to a podcast from New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. We're going to be looking at a beautiful text today that mixes politics and religion. Um, something I love greatly. Now, I've, we've been doing this for a long time, and I've asked and said publicly that if anyone ever wanted to get together and talk about tax theory, um, to have coffee with me, and not once have I received any sort of, uh, no one has taken me up on the offer to do so. So I get to come to you, instead of waiting around for it, I get to come to you and talk about it today, uh, and what I think is a, just a wonderful, wonderful passage. So let's read it. It's Mark 12, 13 through 17. It says, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true. I do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he says, says to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. There's two points, the trap and the truth. And before we unpack this, let us pray. God, you are infinitely wise and good and I just pray that today can be about you and you supremely. Pray that you use your word to correct us where we need to be corrected and to train us up in righteousness. Lord, I just thank you that you permit us to have your word so that we can study it and rejoice in it together. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first point is the trap. I want to look at uh, Mark 12, 13. It says, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. So before, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the characters at play, the characters that are introduced in this short passage, right? We see two groups of people. We see the Pharisees and we see the Herodians. Now, most of you know who the Pharisees are. They've shown up quite a few times in the Gospels. But just to review, in case you don't, they, um, they're, they're the religious group of the day. Now, politically speaking, they're kind of like the, the, right, the conservative right-wingers also of the day. Um, not only are they deeply religious, but also they had a kind of loathed big Roman government. Now, they didn't want any part of that. And then the Herodians were kind of like the liberal left wing of the day. They, uh, they liked big Roman government. They didn't mind the taxes. They benefited from it, so they were all about it. And what we find is people who are watching these two groups come together, and what would stand out to them is why these two groups, who have nothing in common, who had nothing ever good to say about one another, are now united. They're the two groups who had been cruel to one another in the past have found themselves a common enemy that has unified their cause, and that common threat was Jesus Christ. The threat Jesus raised was one of, of power, right? These two groups clung to power as political groups do. Uh, the Pharisees, right, they had religiosity that they subjected their people to, abusing them with legalism. And if you loved God, then you would love their political ideology. It's kind of how it worked. 
The Herodians, on the other hand, right, they had power and got wealthy by siding with the Roman oppressors. They were benefiting from the political structure, and so they had a reason to try to keep it. And so when they hear, they hear Jesus coming, one, the Pharisees talk, hear Jesus really destroying the ground that they stand on, showing them that they didn't even understand the law that they claim to be experts in. The Herodians hear Jesus speaking of a kingdom of God at hand, and so naturally, both these groups feel threatened, and they're going to try to trap Jesus in a political conversation. I love the, uh, the actual word that, that Mark uses here. The, he could have, many words he could have chose. The, the word he chooses, the Greek word here means to hunt. Um, they're hunting him with the purpose of killing him, which is exactly what, if you think what the Pharisees are doing, that's exactly what they're doing. They want to see him die, or at minimum, they want people to hate him. They want people to turn against him. And what a better way to do that than a gotcha question and a conversation that merges politics and religion. Let's look at verse 14. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true. You do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. It is is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now you might say, how is this a trap question? It's a question about taxes, right? Should we pay taxes? Simple enough. But this, the answer to this would have pigeonholed Jesus into a political movement. Just to give you a little, a little background to that, 25 years prior to this is a fellow by the name of Judas the Galilean. Judas the Galilean was a political revolutionary. He uh, despised the Romans and despised the Roman tax. He was anti-Roman. He was a bit brash. Had there been Twitter, he would have sent out mean tweets. He would have said mean things. People wouldn't have liked him. He didn't like the foreign presence in Israel. And he wanted to get them out. He started a rebellion. He even went as far to remove money changers from the temple. Not for the moral objections that Jesus had, but rather because by using Roman currency, you were legitimizing their reign. And so he would go anywhere where Roman coin was used and deal with them. He would start a political party called the Zealots. Now, the onlookers, knowing Jesus has done some of the same stuff, talked about a kingdom of God as Judas the Galilean did, cleansed the temple as Jesus did, probably look at this group of followers of Jesus and say, okay, they have a guy named Simon the Zealot who would have been a political follower of old Judas the Galilean, or at least his philosophy. Among them is also, though, Matthew, the tax collector. So even their own followers are probably like, his own followers are probably like, this is a really good question. Should we be paying taxes to the Roman oppressor? You had both political movements represented there. And so it's a loaded question, because the question really is, are you a political revolutionary? Jesus, is that what you are? Or do you love the Roman occupation? If Jesus says, I love the Roman occupation, then he loses the support of the people, and his reputation is tarnished. If Jesus says, I'm a political revolutionary, no, don't pay your taxes to the Roman oppressor, then the Herodians would tattle and have him killed for treason. It seems like a lose-lose situation. Now, but listen to, listen to the words, though. Teacher, we know that you are true. You don't care about anyone's opinions. 
You're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. They're building up Jesus to answer this as a yes or no type of question. You're not going to dodge this, Jesus. You're going to give us a simple answer, yes or no. Should we pay taxes? Now, we call this a complex question fallacy. By giving uh, an answer, it presupposes other facts that may not be the case. So maybe the most popular one is if someone asked you, um, have you stopped beating your spouse? Now think about that. If someone asks you that, have you stopped beating your spouse? If you say no, well then we, we call the police. If you say yes, then we call the police. Uh, but either way, by answering the question, it's a loaded question that presupposes things that may not be the case, and that's what Jesus has in front of him. A question that will try to paint him into a corner, a political corner. So in the words of Admiral Akbar, that's a trap for my Star Wars fans. So as a minor point of application, let us not do what these groups were determined to do, to place Jesus in a political corner. No doubt Scripture can inform us on issues of God's heart, but all too often, if we're honest, this is exactly what our tendency is, is to trap Jesus with our own political preferences. But I think the bigger concern is how they're attempting to trap Jesus. They do so with flattery. Now, I have, listen, I am blessed with incredibly sweet children, and it's not because I'm a good parent. I truly believe it's um, God's just been incredibly gracious to me and has, has given me wonderful, wonderful kids. Um, but Maddox and Claire both know the art of flattery. They're experts in it. The other day, Maddox is sitting uh, in his room, and he was looking at a magazine, and, and uh, I walk in there, I cuddle beside him, and he says, uh, you love me so much, don't you? I said, oh, buddy, you, you don't even know. I get weepy with him. I'm like, man, I love you more. There's nothing you could do to stop me from loving you. He says, you would never let anything hurt me, would you? I said, oh. I said, Maddox, I would burn this world down for you. I would burn it all down. He says, I know, Dad. You would always try to keep me from being sad, right? But I don't want you to be, he has me reeled in, right? He's, I'm like, buddy, I would never want you to be sad. I will protect you. He says, you know what helped me not be sad? Yes? What, buddy? He points his finger at the magazine. He goes, this Lego Spider-Man set. This is, this would really just make me feel so much better, Dad. Now, his flattery served the purpose. His goal was to push me into a corner where he got something from kind words about my character. And, and this is exactly what they're doing to Jesus, right? Notice how nice they're being to Jesus. Jesus, you have integrity. You're not swayed. Jesus, you're genuine. Right? You're true. They even go as far to say, you truly teach the way of God. Well, they don't believe these things. Right? Their goal is to trap Jesus. That's why in verse 15, Jesus calls out their hypocrisy. Jesus knows that their flattery is nothing but lip service. That their public acknowledgement is just that and only that. When their goal is not to exalt Jesus, it's to use the situation and destroy Jesus to retain their own power for their side. 
They're not concerned with his kingdom. They're only concerned with theirs. Now, this shouldn't seem too foreign from us. I think often we hear flattering statements about Christ being made, whether it's in our own homes, from our own lips, or just from a national level. Uh, we even, as, it's, it's so interesting to me, uh, as someone who loves government, I love history, um, I don't know if you know this, we've never had a, a president or vice president that wasn't a Christian. Did you know that? What are the odds that all of them love Christ? Now, you know that's silly. You could read their own books that they've written that tell you what they think about the gospel. But why is it that they tell people that? Why? Why do they flatter Jesus with their lips? For political reasons, to retain power. Why we will demand as a culture that God and trust, we trust is imprinted on our coins. We will demand that God stays in our pledges and in our schools. Yet if we're honest, we know that the national flattery is nothing but lip service. And what we see is a majority who do not love Christ. They do not desire his bride. And they care very little, if nothing, of his kingdom. And listen, even in the church, lest you think I'm talking about those who didn't make it through the doors this morning, I'm speaking of you and me as well. The lip service that we often give of King Jesus, but it's nothing more than flattery. It's nothing more than us clinging to our kingdom in reality. In public, right, we're quick to raise our voice and sing about how his glory go on and on and on and how he's our king. But in reality, behind closed doors, is that same passion present? Is the same devoutness found? Or like the Pharisees and the Herodians, does the flattery have a darker, deceptive purpose? Our flattery may be more convincing to the people around us. It may look different, but it's flattery all the same. I've told this story before, and it's not to make light of it or make it funny or anything of that nature. I really don't mean for it to be that. But I've told the story of me hiding my wife's checkbook so we didn't have to give to the church uh, often. Um, when we first got married, uh, if I'm being completely honest, I, I was okay even uh, at times, like, man, if she slept in, I would be okay with that. I would be okay if she slept in. We could sleep in, and man, uh, we'll get it next week. Um, and uh, she, was, she grew up in a, in a home that, that loved the Lord, who, and, uh, you know, she had, these, of course, as a family, we give. We give to the church. We love Jesus. That's what we do, right? You, where your treasure is, your heart is there also. Why, why wouldn't we give? We love the Lord and his bride. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll say that. <laughs> But I was very quick. Hey, Jeremy, can you grab the checkbook? I, like, hide it somewhere where she won't look, you know, put it in the video game, you know, cons- you know somewhere where, you know, I know she doesn't, you know, lord her around for the very purposes I, I, didn't, I did not want to give. Now, I would go, mind you. I would go and I would sing. I'd put a smile. I would sing that Jesus was my king. I would tell, I would sing how much I loved him, about his glory. I would serve reluctantly. But my heart was deeply disobedient, not only in my motive, 
but also in what I was withholding. My disobedience, I was flattering God, but I wasn't fooling him. I mean, he knew it. The deception was for other people, and I would even argue myself. But Jesus knows our hypocrisy. He knows their hypocrisy. And I praise the Lord that God put people in my life and who used the word to expose truth to me, and that's exactly what Jesus is going to do here. Which leads me to my second point, the truth. Mark 12, 15 reads, But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and and let me look at it. Now he asked for this coin that was used for a head tax. This wasn't an expensive tax. If you were in the kingdom, you you, you paid a tax, right? Because you were part of the glorious kingdom, you had the privilege of being a Roman citizen, you paid this tax. Now it was hated, not because of the financial burden, because of what it represented, right? It represented their, their oppressors, the foreign presence that was in their land. And so Jesus says, let me have this coin, and he studies it, he looks at it. Now what's ironic is that this coin, on one side it had Tiberius, and it would say in Latin, it would say, uh, the divine son. And on the other side of this Roman coin, it read, Pontiff Maxim. In Latin, it's high priest. So in essence, this coin says, listen, not only am I the ruler over the politic, but the coin claimed imperial authority over worship, which is why you can see why religious Jews hated it. It's acknowledging his reign not only over government, but over my worship. Now imagine if we had that type of coin that you had to pay to acknowledge such a thing. So what's ironic here is the true divine son and the true high priest looks at man's best attempt to replace him. And this is what he says in verse 16. They brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? He said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So here Jesus says the famous line, many of us know, but don't like. Because Jesus basically says, pay your taxes. Now, had any of you ever taken me up on a coffee talk to talk about tax theory, you would have known how much I loathe taxes. And I mean that deep down in my soul. I hate taxes, especially the property tax that makes us all serfs to the state. But I'm not going to go into that right now, though I would love to. I can't stand it. I can't stand the progressive income tax. I'm just being honest with you at this point because no one came and talked to me about taxes over coffee. (laughs) But here's the thing. It doesn't really matter in God's economy, does it? Now, sure, I can think about it. i got a brain. I can, I can sit here and, and theorize on, on taxation. I can have a passion about these things, but in God's economy, it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. It doesn't matter if I'm like the zealots of the day who hate big government or what the taxes are going to or my moral objections to what they're paying for. And I hate much of what our tax money goes to. But Jesus says, hey, pay your taxes. 
Be obedient where I call you. Now listen, there is a time for civil disobedience. And that's a whole different talk that you can have with me over coffee anytime you want. I'll extend the offer. But Jesus is clearly telling those listening, listen, your political preferences take a back seat to my commands. Obedience to Christ is not a preference. It's our default. It's where we should want to be, not out of fear, not out of a hope of reward, but out of love and worship. Now, we may say, Jesus, listen, Jesus, do you know what our tax money in America goes to? If you only knew the things that we paid for, you would not be so quick to tell us to pay our taxes. Before we wag the finger at God, remember which government he's telling people to obey. This is the same government that would kill and persecute the church. By the way, a persecution that God would use to grow the church. One of my favorite quotes, right, Tertullian. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He would use it for his glory and his benefit. This is the same government he's telling people to pay taxes to that would finance his own murder. A murder, by the way, that would purchase you back from your sin. Scripture echoes this call to obedience in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 because the reality is all government belongs to God. All of it. There's not a government entity on this earth that does not exist under the thumb of our Lord. In fact, Jesus actually tells Pilate this in John 19, 11, right? Uh, before his crucifixion. He says, you have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You think you're killing me by, do you think this is what you're doing? I had this planned out before the foundations of the world. Even in your best attempts to thwart me, what you think my plan is, you are doing my bidding. Listen, we're called, in Romans 13, right, calls government a servant. And what I love is the Greek word there is deacon. The government is a deacon of God. It serves his purpose. And not just the good ones, by the way. Go read Paul. Go read Moses, who says that God raised up Pharaoh to display his power throughout the world. The Egyptian government was not a good one. The Babylonians, not a good government, raised up as a form of judgment against Israel. The Persians, you want to go study a deeply perverse government. Go study the ancient Persians who God would use to protect and, and keep safe the Jewish people from Haman in the book of Esther. And not only that, but then rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem. They would fund it. God controls and is over every government is his deacon, which serves his purpose supremely. And as we see in Scripture, not always our preferences. Listen, praise the Lord we get to live in a, in a republic. This is a grace shown to me, right? I can sit around, I can theorize about taxes, I can, I can vote my conscience, I can vote my preference. But when you look at your own currency, and I challenge you to do this today, I want you to observe whose face is on it. 
I want you to ask, who prints this out and sends it out? You even know, right? It's illegal for you to destroy. If I sat up here and ripped up a dollar bill, you'd be like, you're breaking the law. Because it's not yours, it's theirs. So Jesus says, listen, if they want it back, you give it to them. If they want it back, they get it back. I may not like that, because I don't like taxes. But he's my God. So I oblige. I listen. Now, didn't the Pharisees get what they want? He says, pay, pay taxes. Did he fall into the trap? Not quite, because that's not all that he said. Look at verse 16. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So yes, pay your taxes, but there's something greater here than taxes, and it has to do with ownership. Right? Why should we render to Caesar what is his? Because his face is on it. He printed it. His, his organization, his structure, they coin it, mint it, send it out. It belongs to him. But notice where Jesus goes to next. He changes the focus. It's a bigger focus. The coin bears Caesar's image. But what bears God's image? The answer is you and I. So notice Jesus goes to saying, what bear, whose face, whose image is on that coin? Then you give it back to him if he asks. Whose image is on you? You give it all if he asks. So we hate paying taxes, unless you don't, unless you're a sadistic person. Uh, and by the way, on your W-2, you can always pay more if you choose to, if you just hate that type of stuff, uh, money and whatnot. Um, you know. But maybe, maybe you do it for different reasons. Maybe you do it out of, uh, out of you know, when we pay taxes, I mean, I pay taxes even though I hate it. I don't do it, uh, I do it out of fear. I don't want to get arrested, right? That's if I'm being honest, I'm like, I better do that. Um, but some, right, we may be doing it because we want a tax return, a big tax return. Some of you may do it out of a duty as a good American. But in reality, each of us, out of a love of Christ, that should be the motivating factor for why we respect and obey governmental authority. Now, again, I, I pick on my kids a lot, but they're super sweet. But they, they'll tell you, if, I, if we have a babysitter come over, I'll say, now listen, uh, be on. That's all I have to say. And they'll go, your best behavior. They know it. Now, my kids are always on their best behavior. They're, they're not bad kids at all. Again, they're just incredibly, incredibly sweet. Now, they know, though, if I had a babysitter at the house, that if they disrespect the babysitter, not only challenging the babysitter's authority that I placed over them, but it's also a challenge indirectly to my authority and to my wisdom. Now, what we desire, right, as a family, is not, I don't, I don't ask them to like their babysitters. I care very little if they like them. I want them to, but it I'm not going to ruin my day if they don't. But what I tell them to do, they, out of love of mom and dad, listen, do you love and trust me, your parents? If you do, then listen to them. Obey them. I wouldn't put someone over you who I didn't want over you. It's for your good. 
Now the rebellious heart forgets whose image they bear. So let me ask you, what is the tax you owe to your creator? You to render to God that which is his? It's your entire being. Right? There's not a second you have or a dime you spend or a gift that you exercise that does not start and ultimately belong to him. So you give to Caesar what is Caesar's? But God says, what is mine? Give what I ask. Now the Herodians and the Pharisees, right, they have this habit of uh, compartmentalizing uh, the authority of God. And we do it in culture all the time, right? We say, listen, we're gonna, we don't talk about politics and religion. We don't talk about those things. They're separate. You can't separate them. They're eternally forever united. In God's structure, there is no distinction. There's no barrier where he's not allowed. There's no area of your life in any aspect that he, has. he doesn't have jurisdiction. And I love this text because I can ask the question somewhat in reverse. I can ask myself, why is it that I don't like to pay taxes to government? And if I'm being honest, right, it's because I don't trust them. I do not trust them. I do not trust them. But if I ask, why do I not want to give to God what is God's? At the end of the day, if I'm honest, the answer is exactly the same. The God who's given me everything. The God who's given me life, joy. The Lord who's lavished me with grace. Who promises that we'll be co-heirs with him in a kingdom that we inherit because of the work of the Son. I just don't trust you that much to render to you what is yours. With every sin, we question the right and legitimacy of God's authority. And with our apathy, we question the trustworthiness of our king. It's why the answer here is so perfect. Because he says, yes, you pay your taxes, but not because the government is good or bad. That's irrelevant. It's because I'm your God and you're mine. And I'm telling you to. And you trust me. And you love me. Now these clever guys were so concerned about usurping the authority of Jesus, they failed to recognize that their foolish attempts at tricking Jesus and this is what I love so much about Scripture, is eternally engraven on the Word so that we can read it over and over and over and see foolish people trying to trap Jesus. But what I hope you see is the foolishness there, it should make you marvel because how much we're like them in our foolish, silly ways. What I hope we can do is marvel at the reality that all authority on earth and all authority in heaven belongs to this Jesus Christ. Thus we bend to knee to King Jesus because we bear his image and we belong to him entirely and eternally. So church, I pray that we marvel at the true divine son
the true high priest and the true king who served us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Make sure to check out past sermons on the app.